Hello there, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that helps us better understand and sympathise with experiences that might not necessarily be our own. Today, a man I'm learning so much from, it's David Harewood. No one talks about losing your mind, where you're literally hearing voices and seeing things. I mean, the hallucinations and delusions part of it, I, I still to this day would say it was one of the most extraordinary things that ever happened to me. Now, hearing Martin Luther King's voice in my head, literally like he's speak, whispering in my ear, I'm like, I, it, it was extraordinary. And the power of that, and as, as an actor now, I have no fear. I just have zero fear. David is, of course, an incredibly successful stage and screen actor. But in 2019, he made an award-winning BBC documentary that introduced him to a whole new audience. David Harewood, Psychosis and Me, saw him piecing together what happened when he experienced an episode of psychosis when he was sectioned at 23 years old. Now he's written a brilliant book. Oh, this book is just so moving and brilliant. It's called Maybe I Don't Belong Here, which continues to explore his diagnosis, as well as meditating on the role racism has played in his trauma. Oh, this is it's an extremely moving conversation. David is exceptionally candid and direct about what he's been through. So a warning before we begin that this conversation does include some distressing language. But it's important to point out it also includes moments of absolute joy and laughter because we touch upon the concept of post-traumatic growth, a process that David's gone through and that I'm also keen to learn so much more about. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, it's a good one, guys. Here we go. This is the show. Hello, David. Hello, Fern. How are you? I'm good. How, how are you doing? Did your kids go back to school today? Uh, my, my youngest went back to school um, and my eldest is off to university um, soon, which is very bizarre. Didn't seem like yesterday that I was swaddling her in my arms and now she's off to university. So it's um, strange, strange feeling. Yeah. My husband's going through the same with his eldest who is going to his second year of uni and that feeling of... Like, A, like you've just said, how has time gone so quickly? But but also, like, is that OK that he's just going off as a man doing his own thing? He's finding that very strange. Uh, it, it's bizarre. I mean, just the other day, because I've been away for, like, nearly 10 years, you know, in, in the States, you know, doing stuff. So I've come back and suddenly my little girls, one's off to university and my 16-year-old was, she went into town the other day. And it was like, she's what? 
she's in the West End. I'm like, I'm like, should I, should I go and find her? Should I go and, should I be sniping from the, you know? From... So, so it was very bizarre to suddenly find that, yeah, you know, these kids have grown up, you know. Mm, I know. So let's talk about you being back here in Blighty because you've been extremely busy and I'm sure in an unexpected way because none of us saw what was on the horizon and the lockdown has meant different things for everybody. But for you, it's been a time of real self-exploration, not for the first time, but certainly a deeper dive into your own life and your backstory and some subjects that are deeply meaningful to you. And this amazing book is born from that time period, Maybe I Don't Belong Here, which is um, a beautifully powerful, impactful book and, and at times so fun. Like the, the, the escapism for me, you know, really, I really needed some escapism whilst reading this book with my kids being off school and it being so intense at home. And the moments when you were talking about Vanessa Redgrave and Verona and a starry sky, I was I was there, David. So thank you. Thank you for all of it. So let, let's talk about this. Did it feel like a deeper dive? Because obviously, as I mentioned, your your award winning documentary has already covered your backstory. But, but this felt like you were maybe peeling back a few more layers to look at some stuff that you perhaps weren't ready to last time. It wasn't that I wasn't ready for them, for, well, ready to. It was that I didn't realise they were there. I mean, right. the documentary was a shock to me. You know, I, I only, I've got to be honest with you, I did it because I thought it might be fun, which is bizarre, because I, I know I did some very silly, manic things, but when you're, when you're experiencing psychosis, um, I think like with, like with bipolar, you know, you, you, it is preceded by this manic period where you're quite high, and you, you you think this is fun? This is I'm, I can, if I can control this, I'm gonna. This is gonna be great. So, and I think because I was I'm an actor and and um, you know and, and and a creative, I was I was kind of buzzing for 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 months and, and probably suffering from my psychosis for months. So there were lots of sort of funny things that I did: walking around town, singing to complete strangers, carrying old ladies' handbags and or shopping bags, and you know just making people laugh in general. So I thought I was gonna discover all of that. And it was a real shock to me to discover just how ill I was. And in the documentary, when I go back to the to the hospital with my two friends, I was really stunned and scared when I suddenly realised, actually, I was running around this hospital screaming and, you know, had six policemen sitting on top of me. That's when I, it suddenly hit me. Man, I was really out of it, like really out of it. So for the rest of the documentary, I was just terrified because I didn't know what else I was going to find. And I think a couple of days later, no, I think that same day, I was given my medical records from 30 years ago, which was extraordinary that, I, that they actually had my medical records on file. And this, there was a scene later in that day where I was supposed to open the envelope and, and read read some of it and sort of, sort of discuss it with my mates. And the first thing I saw just was like, it just terrified me. And I closed the envelope and I said, I'm not reading this. Let's stop filming. And we stopped filming for the day. And I, I was really, really shaking because it really reminded me of the sort of mental angst that I was going through. The first thing I saw, as I said, really, really kind of, it was like a stake through my heart. And, and so lockdown, pandemic happened, lockdown came and 
I started writing a few things down. I started writing the book, but I, it wasn't until I got back to Vancouver and opened that same envelope. And throughout my quarantine in Vancouver, where I was filming, 14 days of doing nothing, I read the entire contents of that envelope. And it's sort of, in, once I'd sat with my darkest moment, once I'd sat with those fears, sat with those insecurities, that's when it all just, I suddenly thought, no, oh, Jesus, this is, this is deep. And it was all about race and my, my confusion around race and my confusion around identity all sprang up. And that's what, that's what, that's what spurred the, really, the heart of the book, really. And then, I'm, and then I suddenly realised, of course, my dad had a breakdown. And I never even mentioned that in my documentary. I didn't have time to because I was reeling so much. But the book then became a bit of a love letter to my dad to sort of understand what happened to us. Yeah, that's, that's where, where the sort of book kind of came from. Because your your psychosis was shortly after your time at RADA, which in the book reads as a really beautiful time in your life where you made this amazing group of friends and you were thriving, doing something that you creatively adored and you had this direction in life that you were really feeling for the first time. And But also it seemed like in the book it, it acted as a bit of a shield to the reality of what you were about to experience and, of course, what you had experienced previously but perhaps hadn't processed at the time. Without a doubt. I mean, I think, I think you know, the, the confusion around race and the, the... I hated what racism, how it makes you feel. It makes you, you know, as a kid, as a kid, I, I was terrified. I mean, I, I know that's probably not a cool thing to say, but I was terrified. When, whenever I, you know, you're walking home from school and somebody would shout, nigger, coon, you know, out of a car or something like that. And it would just make me just tense and and um I think I found clowning and make-believe and and my imagination at school because I could disappear in that I could be anybody and it was a nice environment surrounded by lovely creative people and I think that then extended as you say into drama school where nobody mentioned my color you know and I you know, I could play King Lear and not, 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 you know, nobody said, oh, he's black and she's white and, you know, nobody mentioned it. And so I kind of escaped into this world of, of sort of bliss where I'm studying and, it, it, you know, I was never that academic at school, but suddenly I'm studying Shakespeare and literature and poetry. And, and I was just, my mind was going, wow, this is fantastic. And I was just buzzing and learning. And it was, it was you know, and I was finding that I was having some success and at drama school with playing these characters and just escaping into these writers' imaginations. It was just a beautiful time for me. But then, yeah, I came out of drama school and suddenly the world said to me, hang on, you're black. You don't do this, you do that. And you can't play that, you play this. And that's when that, that confusion returned and that sort of uh, difficulty to navigate the white space and racism and to navigate how I fit into that returned with a vengeance along with several other moments uh it all combined to sort of tip me over the edge and this led to a feeling of you splitting in two can you talk to me more about this you know this, this sort of obviously the the anchor was you you feeling 
that you didn't belong, but it, you sort of split into two, which perhaps induced this period of psychosis. Well, I split into two um, years before. Like I say, you know, in, in the book, it's it's that was my the first moment of racist abuse when the, I, mean, I, I was seven and the old man, old white man, I was playing outside my house. And up until that moment, I really hadn't had sort of direct, as I said, that, you know, people had shouted stuff at me and whatever, but, um, uh, you know, I sort of grew, grew up watching the telly, what, you know, I used to love watching the telly with my parents and seeing Dick Emery and Morecambe and Wise and the, all the Christmas specials, all those real, you know, dancing with newsreaders and all that stuff. It was all so magical and innocent. And, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I love this. I'm, I felt like a little English boy. And, and then this old man basically, I saw him walking towards me and he, he sort of leaned in and said, you know, get the out of my country, you little black bastard. And it was such a shock to me at the time because I didn't understand what he meant. Get out of his country. And my little mind was turning, the wheels were turning in my head. And that's when I thought, maybe I don't belong here. That's when that split happened. When I suddenly thought, well, if, you know, and then, and then people telling me to go home or go back to where I came from, you know. It just, um, it, it, it sort of just unnerved me as a kid. And, it, it, you know, it, it would always just sit there in my head. What does that mean? Go home, go back. It just didn't... I never quite understood it. I never quite knew how to, how to navigate it. So so, I, so I, I just sort of tried to make do and, you know, shove it aside, not think about it. And, and it was only, as I say, that's where I found my escape into my imagination. And then, and then when it came back, it just came back with a vengeance because it was coming back in the form of criticism of my performances and um, criticism of... I remember I had the worst review I've ever had in my life. I played, I played Romeo and um, it was such a, an awful review and very, very personal. I remember it said, it said apparently this kid went to RADA. Why did they let him in? And why did they let him out? And it was, it was awful. And it was so bad that my director at the time phoned up the local newspaper and said, what the hell is going on there? And, you know, they apologised and said, you know, their normal reviewer wasn't, wasn't available. So they'd sent some, some third, you know, some, somebody else and they they said you know that he obviously wasn't uh, had just just went too far, but it was too late. That was already been printed and it was already online, and it, it was just crushing for me. It was crushing that I was being so dismissed and so um, particularly having had some success at RADA and really looking forward to what I was going to do in my career. It 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 just crushed me, and that's when I started to. As I say, these 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 things started to come back up again. <clears throat> you know, I I appreciate that this is not easy stuff to talk about, and um, and I, I'm really I'm appreciative that you're, you know, willing to to talk about this today and share these stories because it's it's so massively important. I will and, say um, though, Fern, I will say though, 
that and I'm really glad that I'm speaking to you and I'm really glad that, that, that your podcast is so much about mental health. I'm, if it wasn't, I think I'd be in trouble today because I'm exhausted and I've come back from nine months of work. I've gone straight into this book. I did Soccer Aid at the weekend. I'm exhausted and my alarm bells are starting to go now. And um, I said to everybody this morning, it might be time just to close the door a little bit on, on this because it is exhausting and it is a lot to talk about. And uh, even though I found this whole experience empowering, I want to close the box just for, a, you know, I don't want to become an actor again. I want to go back into my acting and I start acting tomorrow. I haven't even read the script. It's been so, I've been so busy. I haven't even read the script. And I, so I'm, this afternoon I'm going to go in the garden and 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 get my head back into acting mode, and because as you said, this stuff is tough. It is, and you and you and you've got to have boundaries, and I'm sure that's something that you've realised over the years that you know those boundaries have to be in place so that you take care of your your mental health, and that if there are conversations that pull you back, or even when you're having to witness racism elsewhere play out, which we've unfortunately had to see in horrific and you know in um in really public ways in the last six months with you know brilliant footballers getting abuse and, and all sorts of things that that you need to have boundaries in place to ensure that that you stay on track with your mental health it's it's of huge huge importance so it's a it's a tricky balance isn't it because i you know when we talk about mental health it's going to help people and it's a beautiful thing and it's connective and it's amazing but if you're not feeling great, you're you're no use to anyone. So it, it's just getting that balance, and it's um, and that's why I'm 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 deeply appreciative that that you're up for having this chat today because I know from my audience it will be deeply impactful and helpful. But equally, if there's bits that you don't want to cover today, you know this is your space. This is your space entirely. I find it sort of it's like a I was saying this to my um, therapist the other day that it it comes in a wave like just did just then. And then he goes away, and and it's, it's I, I I'm I'm astonished at uh, at how much talking about my breakdowns, basically psychosis, it never it's never goes away. You know, it, it 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 that pain never goes away, and sometimes Twitter can be a great resource. And uh, you know, I've suddenly recently been followed by a lot of mental health practitioners because I have been talking about you know psychosis, particularly and psychosis is the one. That not, not a lot of people talk about because it's the one where you get taken away and it's the one where you lose your mind. It's the one that's it's the big scary one. And so they've all been delighted <laughs> that someone like me, a black, strong black man like me, is, is talking about these sensitive and vulnerable issues because it encourages others to say, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And, you know, I, I was contacted by somebody on Twitter the other day and, and she was a mental health practitioner. And she just said, because I was saying how tired I said, I said something on Twitter and she said, it's trauma. You're dealing with something extremely traumatic. And it's not just your mental, it's not just the, it's not just the psychosis. It's also racism. So I'm like dealing with this double whammy of, of difficult issues. And, and that's why I've also got to be careful because if I stray too far into the, into the racism one, um, people don't like it. 
people don't like me talking about it. And I will look on my Twitter feed and somebody will, somebody with Union Jacks, on, loads of Union Jacks on their avatar will be having a go. You know, and I, it, it's jarring because they yeah. go, well, you're banging on about that shit again. Well, it's not like you want to be. We would like to not have to have this conversation. We want to live in a place of harmony. You wouldn't have to if racism didn't exist. This is why you're having to put yourself in these uncomfortable positions, you know, and and hats off again, you know, like that's why I'm, again, hugely grateful that you're willing to go there on these two deeply painful themes for you. And there's something in the book that I found seriously interesting and I don't think that I've talked about it enough in this space and we've talked a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder with many amazing guests and also my own experience of it which I still have therapy with because I still have panic attacks in in certain situations and some that are super annoying like that affect the work that I'm doing I still can't cross that threshold yet but what I haven't concentrated enough on yet is post-traumatic growth And that's something that I am fascinated about. And I probably hadn't recognised my own enough. And I would love to hear more about what shape that has taken for you and what that growth looks like. I guess, you know, I I, I talked about uh, opening that envelope and and then being terrified. And the first thing I saw, it's really disturbing, but as as it says in the book, you know, is... Apparently, I was saying to the doctors, I've merged hearts with a young black boy. Merged hearts with a young... I was like, what? And it really... I found it really disturbing that that was the first thing I saw. And that's what made me close the close the envelope. But actually, when I think about it, I had got so lost during my, my psychoses. And you know, I'm a brummy lad and, you know, straight up, no nonsense... But I sort of, you know, you pile on these different beliefs and different ideas at drama school and and then I, and I'd sort of gone away from the boy that I was and sort of gone away from the core, my sort of core self. Uh, and I think that's part of why I got so lost. And I did spend five days in the hospital, literally not knowing who I was. And, um, and then sort of sat up one morning and kind of, got back to myself but I I I do sort of feel as though psychically in this period of loss I was just trying to get back to myself my core self uh, and sort of sort of bond with it and sort of remake that connection so this whole process for me of opening that envelope and what I even do in the documentary was was like getting back in touch with all that pain, all that trauma that really dislodged me and really nearly ruined me. But I think I buried it. I buried it hoping I'd never find it again and just pretended I was fine. And I think that's what people tend to do when it comes to mental or can do when it comes to mental health. They think, I'm going to bury this. I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to get on. I don't need any help, particularly with psychosis. I'm not, I don't need any help. I'm going to get on with it. My dad was like that. My dad had his breakdown, and, and then when he was better, refused to take his tablets. And it was never the same again. It was never the same man again. And my parents got divorced, and my mum was speaking about it this morning. He was a different man. And as far as he was concerned, he was fine. But everybody else was like, 
you're not the same guy we knew for 15, 20 years. So I think, in a way, I was sort of not quite myself, you know, in the early part of my career. I'd say right up until the documentary, you know, even even in, in, in even when I was su- successful in Hollywood, I was sort of like, okay, now I'm down a red carpet on the, you know, in, in Hollywood and something's missing. Something's still not quite right. Something's still, even though I've got success, I've suddenly got money, something's not right. And getting, doing this documentary, getting in touch with all that pain, all that trauma, acknowledging it, sitting with it. Again, it's what my therapist says, sitting with your choice, sitting with your darkest moments, rather than getting pissed or getting stoned to distract yourself from it. Sit with your lonely self, sit with it. And I've sort of tried to do that in this last year. Previous years, I have hit the bottle and I have thought, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But this year, I really decided to sit with it and really sit with those darker moments, open that envelope, read it cover to cover. There is nothing in the cupboard that I haven't now had a look at. And having done that and faced it and owned it, I feel great. I feel like, I feel like there's nothing now that I don't know about myself. And it's it's really funny, you know, I bought a new Hoover. (laughs) I I ordered a new Hoover on uh on sunday and i really wanted i really wanted to use it so so this morning i said to the wife i said i'm hoovering i'm hoovering the bed i just want to hoover the bedroom so i'm i'm hoovering and i got so much joy because the old hoover was rubbish and i suddenly i said to the wife i said this hoover's crap and she went yeah, you never hoover the house. So how would you know? So first thing I did, got on the internet, order the new Hoover, and then I'm Hoover. I'm thinking this is great. This is better. This is better. Yeah. And it, you just kind of go, you know, I, I want to be home to enjoy all the growth, all the money that I'm not saying money that I've earned, but the success that I've had means nothing if I can't enjoy it at home. You know, with my kids. That means cooking a meal. That means hoovering the, hoovering the bedroom. Yeah, you know, it's just the simple things. And and I and I'm getting. I get so much. I got so much joy from just hoovering the bedroom. Yeah. And so so for me, that growth for me is, you know, years ago that I'm, I would have got that joy from going into town and running into the ground show and getting pissed, you know. And I don't. I, now I'm like, I want to go home. You know. I, you know. I, I don't. I don't necessarily want to hang in the Groucho or hang in town and, you know, bump into friends. I want to go home and yeah. watch the telly and play with a dog and sit in the garden. And I'm, I'm I very nearly starting to watch Gardens World because I'm like in the garden weeding <laughs> and just enjoying it. And, 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 and that for me is a, hu- a huge sign of my personal growth. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't have sat with those darker moments, uh, I would still be trying to cover them up. So that's yeah. that's that's where I'd say that growth. Well, you've you've come home in a literal sense, and also within yourself, you you've come home. And whilst you were talking there, it really made me think. You know, looking at the book title and feeling the impact of that. Maybe I don't belong here, and knowing that 
inherently all any of us want is to feel like we belong. That is what every day we get up and on a subconscious, like a subterranean level, we just want to feel like we belong. And our actions will differ in how we'll feel like that. We might try and buy an outfit to feel like we look cool and fit in on a very base level, but the behaviour will vary in extremities. And and it, I guess until you do the deep work and look at, as you say, like you've looked at everything now, I'm in that process of trying to pick through my past and look at everything. That's perhaps when you can feel a sense of belonging just with yourself. You don't need anybody else. Obviously, community is always wonderful. Obviously, having people you connect with, people that accept you and understand you for who you are is beautiful. But if we can derive that sense of belonging from within, that's another level of peace. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't put it better myself, you know. Um, and it's not easy. You know, no. you've, got to, you've got to do the hard work. You really have to do the hard work. And as I say, this this... This journey's seen me bawling with complete strangers on the street. You know, people... I had no idea my documentary was going to affect people the way it did. And, um, it, you know, I, the morning after it went out, I didn't watch it. I, I, I was terrified. When it was on the TV, I was terrified. Um, and really panicking, thinking I'd really shot myself in the foot here. I've ruined my career. But the next morning I took the dog for a walk, just people were just... Excuse me, Mr. And normally there's a bit of a barrier between you know the the actor and me, and, and I can kind of hide behind that, but that was gone. Yeah. And people were like, "Excuse me, Mr. Harewood, just want to say thank you so much for being." There. And I, I couldn't go more than ten feet without somebody. Somebody else was coming up to me. Somebody else was coming up to me. It happened to my dad. It happened to my mom. It happened to my. And it was very uncomfortable because I was very raw, and uh, I was sobbing on the street with total strangers because they were suddenly going. I've never spoken about this before, you know. You know, you know. My dad, this and my dad, that happened there. Taxi drivers would go. Oh, I saw your program last week. Yeah, it happened to my son. And and you find yourself in the middle of a really in depth personal conversation with people who have had this awful experience. And it is an awful experience watching a loved one, whether it's a husband or dad or son, daughter, go through a psychotic break. I mean, it's like they turn into somebody else. And you think that you've lost them. And it's um, it's very painful. So it really hasn't been an easy journey. But now when they come up, I, I, I'm list- I listen to them. And I kind of offer a bit of advice. And, and it, now I'm in a place of strength. It's not sort of reducing me to tears all the time. But it's, you know, and, and just on Saturday night, some guy, again, it messaged me on Twitter and said, you know, I'm a black actor. Same thing happened to me. I had a breakdown. I don't suppose you mind... Yeah, talk, absolutely. Get on the phone. And it's just nice to share with somebody. And, you know, he's really kind of, wow, you know, somebody's somebody's talking about this. And another guy at Soccer Aid come up to me and go, I had a breakdown, but, and saw your documentary, and brilliant documentary, and talking and talking, and I'm going to meet him on Thursday and have a, in town and, and sit down because he wants to talk more about his break because he's never talked about it before. And so... I found that even though it's been tough and awful and difficult and it's had me sobbing, that I'm now in a place where I can, I, I can sort of offer people, you know, a helping hand or even a, a shoulder or you know, get them to laugh at it or you know some of the crazy things that we do when we when we were when we were you know experiencing a breakdown and it it's, it seems to have been tremendously helpful and um, 
I, I, even though it's been tough, I, I, I really wouldn't have changed anything. It's been, it's probably been the most important thing I've ever done. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How's it changed how you view your own father? Because even when we're adults, we still see our parents as... You know, we don't see them necessarily as humans. They're, they're parents and they, you know, and we listen to them or we don't listen to them. We rebel against them or whatever. And and I still, at the age of 40, will look at my parents and go, oh, my God, they're humans. You know, they, they've been through stuff and they're reacting from a place of pain sometimes, etc. Has it given you a new perspective in which to look at your own dad? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, unfortunately... You know, just shortly after the breakdown, his breakdown, um, I, I moved away to drama school, you know, and so I, you know, I lost touch with him. Um, I lost touch with, lost touch with him, you know, just physical and, um, you know, physically just, just, just lost, lost touch with him. And, and, you know, as I said, he didn't take his tablets and um, continued drinking heavily and, Towards the end of his life, well, the, the mid, you know, when I did sort of check in with him, he was just very distant and very a difficult man to talk to. And um, I, I think I sort, you know, I invited him down here one, 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 to, uh, well, not this house, to another house that I was living in. And it was just a bizarre, bizarre sort of evening, you know, where he, he's walking around at three o'clock in the morning and, opening cupboards at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, drinking. And I suddenly realised, oh, my God, I've got to, you know, got to, I've got to watch my dad. And um, it was a really uncomfortable night because I had to try and talk him, talk him and try and get him to sleep. And and then I think, you know, prior to that, prior to that, um, I thought, what well, was it just after that? I... My sister said, oh, he's acting odd, he's, he's acting odd, maybe something's going on. He, he seems like he's drunk all the time. So I went up to see him. And as you kind of, again, socially, you take him for, I took him for a drink and um, I bought him a drink and put the drink down. And he said, thanks for the drink, mate. What's your name again? And I went, what? He said, I just want to know who's brought me a drink. I said, I'm David. And he went, cheers, Dave. He didn't know who I am. And that's when I said, this is more than alcohol. And that's when the dementia started to kick in. And um, maybe I didn't, you know, I again, I was too busy to, 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 and I was back off to the States. And, you know, I don't, I don't think any of us handled that particularly well. Um, because he was in and out of, of, of periods of lucidity. And by the time I came back again, he was, properly sort of gone and um was you know in care little flickers of 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 him there you know every now and again but i but i when i wrote this book i suddenly thought he's had a tough life you know and he came here 
with high hopes of succeeding and high hopes of, you know, England, for a lot of the Caribbean, was the mother country. It was this land of milk and honey. It was, go to England and find yourself as a man. And, you know, I think of that generation now and how they've been treated by the government with the Windrush generation, how the, some of them have been deported. And it's just awful. It's awful. You know, and even my mom, you know, she, and, you know, I've got great respect for her. And that whole culture, that whole generation, they've been battered just been battered so it has sort of made me and that's why I wrote you know, I sort of wrote my the foreword to him because I never really got a chance to say oh, you're a champion man you're a real champion you came here you know with just the coats on clothes on your back and you worked really hard got a great job I mean it wasn't for him I wouldn't have got the money to go to drama school I wouldn't have been able to go to drama school I, you know you know I suddenly thought you know is he you know he was the guy with the, he was the guy who watched all those programs that inspired me to be an actor. He was the guy who watched all those programs that inspired me to laugh and to to to, to enjoy performance and Tommy Cooper and it was only my dad. It was my dad's we're watching this, not that. And so I, I just sat and watched whatever he watched and I just I grew up laughing. And um I guess that's where my sense of humour comes from. And and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have that. So Yes, in, you know, completely, even though I sort of went away from him, the book has made me think, you know, you're a strong man. And, it, it, you know, unfortunately, the world sort of was very tough on you and very tough on him. And maybe I didn't give him the respect in, the, in, in, in time because my career was in America. But I hope the book is, is, is you know, makes up for it in some little way. And... You know, certainly now, you know, I think of him extremely fondly, you know. No, without a doubt. The book is, as you said at the start of this, a, a real love letter to him. And a, and I think, you know, as we get older, it's so um, interesting and also almost a necessity that you look back and you look at the threads of, you know, I, I've done it with my own family or my mum's side, the maternal lineage um, yeah, there's a history of, of poor mental health and breakdowns, etc. And I, I want to learn more about it now. And and I didn't when I was younger. I had I was doing other things, you know. So I think it, it there becomes there's a time in your life where that feels like you, you can't avoid it. You have to you have to dive in and look at it. And and let's talk about your mum because I got this really strong sense of her unbelievable maternal intuition. Like she knew exactly how to take care of you and how to help with your recovery. And that seemed like a, a pivotal point in your life that you'd, you'd moved back to Birmingham you with your mum. She was taking care of you. You were allowed bits of freedom, but then she knew when things weren't quite right. And she was the, the person who um, intuitively weaned you off your medication. And you've not been on medication since... Or, or had an episode, which is incredible. <clears throat> well, I think there's 15% of people uh, who have psychosis or, or a psychotic breakdown who never never need further medication, never have any further problems. And I just happened to slot into that bracket, luckily. Um, you know, thank the Lord. Not everyone is. Not every, lots of people still on medication and still taking still taking those antipsychotics, which were awful. And, you know, I was over-medicated. Um, 
So again, that plays into the whole the, 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 the racism and race fear of the big, the large black man. Uh, that plays into that. But I certainly think that my mom, with zero mental health um, um, teaching or awareness, just loved her son. And, um, you know, she could see that, and I was, you know, when, when I was taking these tablets, I mean, they they were awful. And, uh, uh, you know, like that, you know, just slow. I was massively overweight. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, just, I was just told to keep taking the tablets. <laughs> That's it. No follow-up. Just keep taking the tablets. And they really started to depress me. And... Um, and, you know, I was frustrated that I couldn't get my sharpness back. I didn't have my wit. I didn't have my, I, you know, I wasn't sharp. And so, yeah, she phoned up the hospital and said, you know, what, what, what's happening? What are we, they, oh, yeah, just stop taking them, they said. And I went from zero to a thousand miles an hour and um, very nearly had another sort of break. But she just, again, without any teaching or learning, just gave me a tablet every other day then half a tablet every other day and a bite of a tablet, just with her own knowledge, just just wean me off them until eventually I was fine and balanced. I mean, the brain, Fern, is such a delicate instrument. It is such a delicate instrument. And occasionally they misfire. You know, everyone thinks we're supposed to be all, we're all supposed to be perfect. We're all supposed to be great. That's not the case. And occasionally one or two of us, or many of us, sort of just need a bit of a service or maybe need some time out. And it's such a shame that we don't appreciate just how special this thing is up here. I know. We bombard it with shit, which which blows my mind, is that we... This is, as you've just said, the greatest tool we have. We have this exceptional thing in our skulls that allow us to be creative, to communicate, to invent, you know, imagine. Yeah. And there we are on our phones imbibing ungoverned amounts of bullshit. You know, some of it useful. Yes. Probably 90% just polluting, polluting, polluting. And I was thinking about this this morning, like, what am I, how choosy should I be? Very choosy is the answer. I need to be so choosy with what I read, what I'm looking at online, the the people that I'm talking to and what I'm listening to. And we're not, because we've got screens (laughs) bloody everywhere, you have to be so disciplined and so on it to go, I'm going to treat this brain like the most amazing piece of machinery and only feed it the best, best stuff because we do that it, we have normalized feeding it all day with crap it's terrifying no wonder we have such huge levels of mental health problems i know it's not all that but that is for a lot of people especially young people now with phones on their palms constantly it contributes to to so much of the toxicity and and, and the problems that are playing out mentally absolutely you know and i i i've partnered with the book with uh, black minds matter and they're a wonderful young um, organisation of young, mainly young people. Uh, and it's wonderful that, that they're, they're discussing mental health in the black community because it's kind of taboo in the black community. And, you know, when, I, when I've started, it's amazing to see how me speaking about it, is, I'm not saying me speaking about it, but being so public about it has really started to change that. And, you know, I'll be in Tesco's and I, I, one, of the, one of the most wonderful things the other day that happened to me 
just after the documentary. I mean, Ted was in Tesco's, and this uh, really old black lady, grey hair, she kind of spotted me across the frozen veg, and she just kind of came over to me, and she just kind of went, well done. Mm. And it kind of made me choke up a little bit, but she just went, and then walked off with a big smile on her face. And I just thought, I yes, that's the affirmation we need. But as you say, the opposite of that. Can you imagine growing up as a kid now? What are you wearing? What's cool? What isn't cool? What's your hairstyle? What, what are you listening to? You know, who, you know, how many TikTok followers have you got? How many Instagram followers have you got? And I, it's just a, a minefield of, of it's a, you're being bombarded, as you say, with shit. Yeah. And... It's a very difficult space for children to navigate. You know, you know, we didn't deny, not deny my kids, you know, the, the grams and the tweets. But I said, you know, make them private so that you yeah. know who's following you. You know who's liking your stuff. And you, you know, don't search for likes. If you're out there going, anybody can follow me and anybody can send me a message. I said, that's a very different world that you're, you're in then, trying to get likes, trying to battle with likes and, you know, who's watching your videos and just explain to them that, that, that trying to talk to them about those things and it seems to be working they have a very healthy relationship with with social media and sometimes I tell them just delete it I said I said you know that's what I do you know if I'm having a bad day or if uh, or if you know somebody um, if I'm getting grief from something you know I do a lot of documentaries and some of the documentaries I do are about race, you know, about whether it's COVID or in the education system. And even though it's just bare facts, even though I'm stating facts, you still get the Union Jack, the Avatar bot going, you're talking bollocks, you're black. You know, and it's, 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 I don't want to see that at seven o'clock in the morning. I don't want to no. see that. At, I don't want to see it on my phone. So I'll just delete Twitter. And it's so refreshing. It's gone. It's gone. And I'm not looking for it. And then about four or five days later, I'll go, oh, what's the football scores? And I'll just download it again. Yeah. And it's, and, but it's so refreshing to just delete it off your phone. Yeah. We have the, the agency to do that and we forget it. Yeah, we I tell people it. to do it all the time. Just, just, just delete it. And then you and I was on holiday one time. And after I deleted it, I was looking and everyone's like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> round the pool. And you just look round and go, fucking look at them. Yeah. We're addi- well, we're all addicted, aren't we? It's um, it's very easy to get addicted to, but we are, if we admit it, probably on some level addicted. And, and again, we have to create our own boundaries with that and what works for us. We don't have to be... We don't have to know what... Kim Kardashian ate for lunch. We don't have to know everything, you know. There needs to be stuff that we're still willing to learn about. And, and in our own time, it doesn't have to be like we know everything about everything because we're looking at our phone the whole time i'm i'm up for learning stuff i'm up for there being patches of my my knowledge that are just non-existent because there's i've got time i want to learn stuff and i want you know what talking about that you know this is why i like doing this podcast i don't like it i love doing this podcast because especially over the last year you know sort of connecting with people during the pandemic and and at such a strange time i i have learned more this year about humans that I think in my whole lifetime and the subjects that we've covered from you know all aspects of mental health from anxiety to to compulsive gambling to talking about race you know so many things and and I don't want to present this podcast acting like I I know all of it because I I don't I know my experience but I, I don't know 
there's so many holes in my knowledge that I'm willing to learn about and that I want to learn about. And and psychosis was definitely one of them. I I had a very rudimentary understanding of what it meant. And I know that one of the things you're passionate about is breaking down the stigma that surrounds it because it's still so synonymous with words like lunatic or mad, crazy and things that are deeply unhelpful. My my understanding was just basic. I just knew that there was some sort of cognitive malfunction. But the bit that I had no understanding of at all, that I was ignorant to, was the, the thing that you talked about earlier, this sort of energy and the fire that you felt and at times the euphoria that you felt and really the sort of complexities of how your past traumas or the things you're trying to process are playing out. They're not going to be the stereotypical idea we have of of what psychosis means it, it, i i've learned so much from reading your book and watching your documentary so again thank you for that you know I, I'm, I'm glad you said that uh i i remember when, about a week after it uh went out i did some event somewhere and um i was riding home on the tube and this this old guy came up to me and went Absolutely marvellous documentary. Absolutely fantastic. I just want to say, I'm a, I'm a therapist. No one talks about it. No one talks about it. That's the one that no one talks about. Thank you so much. And it's almost as if, it's almost as if he was delighted because it's, it is the one no one talks about. It's yeah. the one, you know, you know even, even bipolar's got a bit sexy with Homeland, you know, you know, with the highs and the lows. You know, Ryan Reynolds has talked about anxiety and... Uh, so a lot of the depression has obviously become sort of very, very common. No one talks about losing your mind. And it is one of the most extraordinary conditions. It really is an extraordinary condition where you're literally hearing voices and seeing things. And I mean, the hallucinations and delusions part of it, I, I still to this day would say it was one of the most extraordinary things that ever happened to me. Now, hearing Martin Luther King's voice in my head, like he's speaking to me, literally like he's speak, whispering in my ear, I'm like, I, it, it was extraordinary. And the power of that, the power of that, I think it's almost, in, in some ways, it's kind of fed into my acting. It has fed into my, and I, that's why I, I, I sort of, there are more things in heaven and earth, the ratio. It's like, it's, there are, there's just so much out there. And and as as an actor now, and even even more than before, but I have no fear. I just have zero fear. It's like Saturday, soccer aid walking in front of you know doing a speech in front of fifty thousand people. That they were all going, "You okay? You okay?" I was like, "Yep, yep, absolutely." <gasps> <laughs> I, was like, I was just like, "Yeah, it's just no fear whatsoever." Yeah, Be- wow. Because it's just like having here, you know, I know how extraordinary things can be. And this feels to me, you know, doing that was, was, it's a job. So, yeah. so, and acting's a job. And, you know, I know how far, you know, I, it's almost like I know how, f- I've taken it right to the edge and gone over the edge. So anything short of that is absolutely fine by me. Wow. I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I'm sort of fearless in that. But, you know, and, 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 but, but, you know, Meeting some of those younger people in that documentary was just tremendous, and understanding how they are—they still remain—they still remain kids, 
They still laugh, they still play, they still... But they, they battle it all the time. So there, the one girl, she was taking anything up to 17 tablets a day to balance out her mind and balance out her sort of chemical imbalance. That's how I like, you know, it's, it's an imbalance. Yeah. And uh, you know, I said, what happens if you, know, I said to her, what happens if you don't take them? She says, oh, I can feel it. She says, I, can, I might start getting a bit more aggressive or I might start getting, you know, I might start playing up a little bit, you know, you know speaking loudly. I might start talking faster. She says, I notice it now. You know, before, I, she didn't notice it before. So you know, now when she notices, she goes, oh, I need to take that tablet. So she'll take that and she'll feel better. And that's extraordinary that you can have... And I was, I was wrecked. Because I'd, I'd sort of, I was presenting this show, dealing with my own memory of my own mm. breakdown, doing Soccer Aid again. I was exhausted. And actually, when I got to the interviewer that day, I had to sit in the car that is going, Paul, I, I was crying my eyes out in the car. I was thinking, I've got to get my shit together and go and do this interview and be my professional BBC best. And... Just by talking to her, I forgot all my, my, I was like, she was so mesmerizingly authentic and real. I forgot all my problems and I was like, my God, I'm amazed that you, amazed at her. And she was beautiful, just beautiful. And I just thought, wow, you know, she's, she's, she's what an extraordinary girl. She was mm. an extraordinary girl. And I'm so disappointed at the pandemic. You know, we got nominated in the pandemic because I would love to have taken her to the BAFTAs. I'd love to have taken oh. at least three of them to the BAFTAs. Can you imagine? You know, that would have been fitting so them special. out in a dress, fitting them out in a tux, yeah. and going, "Come on, let's go to the BAFTAs." But how beautiful that you've got that connection. I think this is a theme that we've explored so much on this podcast that. The things that we assume are the bits that alienate us, the pain, the, the suffering, the trauma, that's, that's the stuff that glues you to other people. That's the connectivity. We, we, we fear it's going to push us away from other people, but look at these beautiful relationships for you that have been forged. I've certainly had that over the last, I don't know, five years that I've been exploring this theme publicly. It's gorgeous. <laughs> you say you reach out and you go... Oh, yeah, I'll help. Oh, I'll, I'll, let me let yeah. me let me give you a hand. And it is, it's gen- as you say, sobbing on the street with complete strangers, and then you go, "Have a good, have a great day, mate." And you and, you, and you're off. You sort of got a yeah. pep, you got a pep in your step, and you you just feel great. And it's a, as you say, it's a shame that we we sort of that in our we 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 think we have to deal with it ourselves. Yes, and and that's when we load ourselves with more stress. We drink more, we take more pills, we distract more, rather than just letting it all out, but blubbing your eyes out. And, you know, maybe sometimes you do need help. You know, sometimes you do need to reach out and say, I'm not doing so well here. You know, can you give us a hand or, you know, what, you know what's, what's the best thing to do here? And, and that's really, really important that you don't deal with it yourself. Try and deal with yeah. it yourself. It takes courage, but it's the best, biggest first step you can take is talking to someone that you trust doesn't have to be a professional can just be someone that you love that you know is going to hear you it's you know the best best thing you can do i will say that men you know we're all supposed to be strong big and especially black men you know we're all 
And the amount of guys who've come up to me and said, wow, man, well done, wow, well yeah. done. Because, because you saying that makes me feel like, you know, you know, I don't have to match up to this image of the big, strong dude. Yeah. You know, every now and again, things get tough. You can get on top of you. So, and I, you know, I, I just try and encourage them to get in touch with that softer side and that, that more sensitive side. You don't always have, especially our young men, you don't always have to be the, the tough dude and the, you know, it's important that you, you reach out sometimes. Mm. Oh, I, I have so loved this conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, I feel quite emotional about it. God, honestly, I just loved talking to you and thank you for the incredible work that you're doing. And um, again, for talking about this, you know, this this stuff that's tough within happy places, you know, I'm I'm deeply grateful. So thank you so much. I got to, as, as I said to you, I'm just delighted it was you today because I, I would have been in trouble, I think, in any, in any other place. Because I'm, ex- I'm not, you know, the alarm bells are going. Yeah. And um, I'm just so thankful that it was you. And I'm so thankful it was this space. Because actually now I feel so much better. And uh, I'm... It's put me in a happy place. Oh, David, I am so grateful for that conversation. It impacted me massively. And I've thought about it so much since. And I've been moved by it since. And I've had a cry about it again. I... I just loved having that conversation. I mean, I feel so lucky that I get to do this podcast. I, I, and I mean that. I really, really do. And I really appreciate David having that conversation, knowing how exhausted he is. Because it is exhausting to constantly have to relive your trauma. But as he said, it, it feels worth it if it touches even a few lives. And you certainly touched mine, David, so thank you so much. David's book, Maybe I Don't Belong Here, is out now. And as I said, I I learned so much from it, particularly about psychosis itself and and how it manifests. You can follow Happy Place for free wherever you get your podcasts. That will mean you can be back here with me next week as soon as the next episode is available. And let me tell you, you'll want to be here next week because we'll be having some proper belly laughs, big ones. But in the meantime, you can come and chat with us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. Do give us a little follow, find out what we're getting up to at Happy Place in and outside of the podcast world. Until next time, thank you so much again to David, to the producer, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and you lot. I absolutely love you, and I'll see you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.